<coughs> Podcast Network Asia. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today should be a great one. I am joined by Amit Kumar, the CEO of OLX Autos in India. Amit, how are you doing today? Very well, Michael. Thanks for having me on Asia Tech Podcasts. I've, I've listened to a few, and these are some really insightful conversations that you have with Thank some you. really smart people. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And you've joined that group of really smart people, by the way. Can you give our listeners a little bit of your background, just a little bit for context? Sure. Uh, so, Michael, uh, I come from a typical lower middle class Indian family where education is the path to security of future. My mom being a homemaker and my dad, a typical banker, pushed me into education and rightly so. I, I did my engineering from an in- institution called IIT Bombay. Good stuff. Got into FMCG industry with a large uh, biscuits and cookies manufacturing company. Learned a lot about India with them. Uh, learned a lot about food, which is a basic human necessity. And learned uh, about uh, how SMEs uh, power economies like India and a lot of other developing economies because all the FMCG supply chains in, in the country are actually powered by entrepreneurs who are really helping distribute a lot of products. I went on to do my MBA from Indian School of Business, Hyderabad, and then uh, spent some time in telecom industry. Uh, around 2011 is when I started my journey in, in the digital tech economy. Firstly, with a large Indian publishing house called the Times of India Group, joined them as a product manager, started by reading books on Google Analytics way back in 2011. Wow. My first startup assignment was with Rocket Internet in India with, with a company called Jabong, and we were trying to build a fashion e-commerce play. Here I joined as the founding member and helped the company build a marketplace for fashion. I did that for a almost three years, and then moved to Paris with Rocket Internet. And here uh, I was leading a large global horizontal e-commerce marketplace. And this was spread around 35 countries, uh, frontier countries, uh, where where technology and and e-commerce per se were just starting to build. So countries like Nigeria, Ghana, Morocco, Algeria in, in Africa, countries like Nepal, Sri Lanka, Philippines in Asia, and some Eastern European countries like Bulgaria and Belarus. Fantastic experience, traveled through almost three weeks a month and learned a lot about how the tech ecosystem is is actually maturing in these frontier markets. Moved back to India, worked with a large e-commerce company called Snapdeal for a couple of years. And last three years, I've been with the OLX group uh, and I've been building what is called OLX Autos. It's a transactional uh, used car uh, business. Used cars in India are growing faster than new cars. It's a $25 billion opportunity. We are close to uh, 150 plus retail outlets today and a team which is 1,000 plus people. That's in a nutshell my professional journey. Personally, I'm a father of two really young, naughty kids, uh, both <laughs> sons. Uh, my wife, she is again uh, the cornerstone of, who I, cornerstone of who I am. Again, a graduate from IIT Kanpur. My father is, is again the bedrock of who I am. He's been my guide, mentor in, in the tough times and, and, and the great ones. That's who I am. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, and I want to get to a bunch of that in detail. And I guess the first thing I want to go back to is this idea of your words, right? Growing up in a lower middle class family and having education appear to be sort of the pathway or the light sort of in the middle of the tunnel, right? It's not the end of the tunnel by any stretch of the imagination. And I know that there's a lot of pressure. 
I felt the same thing when I was a kid, definitely coming from a lower middle class family as well. When you finally get educated, and IIT, of course, Mumbai or Bombay is one of the most prestigious, if not the most prestigious university in India. When you get entry, what is the family feeling? Like, how proud are your mom and dad? They say it uh, in India. So the river Ganges, uh, which yep. is which has a lot of religious significance in in the Hindu mythology. Right. And when when you've accomplished everything uh, in your life, people say you've taken a bath in the Ganges. Everything <laughs> is done and finished in life. Uh, when your son uh, goes through IIT, people say you've taken a bath in Ganges. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how important and material uh, event it was for my family. Of course, my brother also did the same a few years later. Good stuff. But the more more important part, Michael, is that, and now I've been through that and have spent close to 15, 16 years after IIT. Right. I think the benefit of education fundamentally is that it's a great leveler. It creates a level playing field, uh, taking away all the baggage of how rich you are or how rich your parents are. It brings everyone on the same same pedestal and then then you are who you are and you perform the way you do. And I think that's how I've seen education helping economies and countries like India. It's a really interesting point, right? If you graduate from a prestigious university, again, for better or for worse, people don't ask you about your mom and dad. They just look at the credential and say, there must be something special about this kid. And again, for better or for worse, right? But that's kind of the way the world works. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into business, again, just a little bit more about you, but what are some of the things that are most important to you, both inside and outside of work? Here I try and simplify my life and simplify the way I think about things. For me, fundamentally, the most important thing is to be a good human being. I've been fortunate to have had good parents, uh, to have had good education, uh, and to have had good family and good luck. I, at the core of my heart, feel that I need to help others with, with some of what I have. And that is what is being good human being is all about. Uh, right. Those who have been fortunate need to share with those who have who have not been or may not have been as, as fortunate. So it's it's about the way we teach our kids sharing is caring. Uh, that, that applies to all of us. The more we can use it in, in our professional and personal walks of life, the better it is. And that's the philosophy and code that, that I live by. Okay. That, I mean, that's also very important to me and very well understood. I want to get back to entrepreneurship a little bit and maybe just your view in general on entrepreneurship and its relation to sort of job creation and GDP growth, particularly in India. Michael, if I look at how we move from from a developing economy to a developed economy, there's a role that government plays. We are a country which is 1.3 billion people and we are a country which is powered by the spirit of human entrepreneurship. Uh, if, if you look around in India, you will have millions and millions of small retail shops, people going in every day for work and, and selling something and, and making money. And, and that's entrepreneurship powering India from where it was uh, in 1947 when we got our freedom to today where we are amongst the top five economies in the world, growing fastest probably or, or somewhere there. And I have been to some of the other countries in Africa, some of the smaller countries in Asia. I think the core which will help us move forward and bring prosperity and bring jobs is when we empower small and medium entrepreneurs to grow and build businesses. Got it. 
eventually yeah. if you look at the achievements that china has made in last 3 to 4 decades those have been also driven by in some ways millions and millions of manufacturers building it for the world and at some level i could call it entrepreneurship as well and if i look at my career i really got inspired by the entrepreneurship in 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 the distribution ecosystem which was being done at britannia they were at least 2000 plus distributors and these some of them could have been in business for 50 years some of them could have been as new as yesterday and we were getting pointed but these were young to old entrepreneurial people wanting to make an effort wanting to make some more money and wanting to generate employment for more people each distributor creates jobs for 10 15 20 or 100 people depending on the size and that's how the economy grows and that's how the prosperity spreads the way i see it entrepreneurship is at the heart of countries moving from one level of prosperity to another got it can i ask you this though you know when you worked for britannia you left your hometown and you went to and again this is not this is not sort of the typical path into entrepreneurship right to go work for a big company particularly one that's selling snacks and particularly one that is a non-tech business per se what was it like working there and doing things and going places where maybe some other people had failed and trying to then turn that into a big business but also helping the local community where you were working and also the employees that were there feel more comfortable that like that business was not going to go away if that makes sense so michael i want to make an honest confession here when i graduated out of iit the more important thing for me at that stage and i was coming out of a lower middle class background and i had self funded my education with a loan from a bank you know the feeling the big priority was to get financial security and i was not an entrepreneur at heart then i was searching for money which could come in like my father's paycheck came every month so that i i could secure pay back my loans and that was the driver for joining a big conglomerate like britannia and that's where i think uh, this relates to the previous point that i was making is that big countries and big conglomerates are also being driven and helped by the entrepreneurial energies in, in our countries yep. so while britannia a few billion dollar enterprise uh, growing rapidly i think at the core it is being powered by those 2000 to 3000 distributors who are working out of every small town in the country and taking britannia products to millions and millions of retailers and selling them and the interesting thing which was a very big learning for me fortunately was that britannia is a food company and as a country we know that uh, 150 to 200 million people are stressed for food every day when you look at uh, that perspective where where you are on the road and you see that a biscuit packet uh, which is 4 rupees or 10 cents for 100 grams is is actually feeding somebody and is somebody's lunch exactly that is that is such a gratifying feeling there is that relationship between entrepreneurship and feeding people and generating employment while you are working for a large conglomerate like britannia it is important to be able to understand and look at things from that micro perspective also so you left britannia though and then you started working where you got a little bit closer to tech was that telenor no so i i uh, i was working for britannia for 3 years and then i went on to do my mba right. 
I started my tech journey around 2011 with the Times of India group as, as a product manager. Okay. This was a legacy e-commerce platform. And at that time in India, there was no Amazon. Flipkart was just, just beginning to get, a, get some traction. Was the Times of India in the e-commerce business as well? Yes. So the Times of India group uh, runs an internet business called the Times Internet Limited. Wow. And that's one of the largest uh, internet networks in the country because they have uh, the largest news websites uh, such For as sure. Times of India, Economic Times, and, and they're probably amongst the top five news websites or traffic generators in the country. So can I ask you this, though, from your perspective, right? Yeah. It was rare, I mean, even 10 years ago or maybe more, but for a newspaper company or a media company or a press company to get into the internet so wholeheartedly. What do you think was different, at least based on your experience at the Times of India? What was different about them that's where they said, you know, not only are we a big news company, but we want to be a gigantic internet company as well? I would say leadership. So I was fortunate enough to work with the then CTO and uh, the current CEO of uh, the internet business of the Times of India group, that's Mr. Gautam Sinha. Okay. And he's a visionary. He was able to foresee what the internet ecosystem is going to become. And why would a publishing enterprise, which is 100 years old, right. need to transform itself into an internet powerhouse to survive and thrive? I learned a lot working with Gotham because this was my first assignment in the internet economy. I was coming there selling biscuits and, and SIM cards <laughs> in, in small villages right. and, and, and retail outlets. Right? Uh, I, I didn't even know how the funnel on a website looks like. And then he he's a, he's a phenomenal teacher and a mentor to me even today. His vision is what actually transformed a large legacy publishing house into an internet first company. Today they have a sprawling empire with, with, let's say, Ghana, which is, I think, one of the large music streaming app in the country. They have one of the large cricket app also. But I think it's it's all about the vision as to can you see 10 years ahead and, and build your business. Wow. That must have been an incredible experience. I, the reason why I ask right, is because I look at even newspapers like the New York Times and the Washington Post in the United States, which obviously have been on the internet since the mid-90s, but really didn't build thriving businesses yeah. until literally like five or so years ago. Yeah, I think it's all about, I think all of us know about Gillette, right? Gillette has the ability to say what is the future and prioritize it. If I look at, let's say, Toyota, earlier in India, there used to be a Toyota car called Collis. And then they stopped it and started with Innova, which has now become Krista. It is it is about letting go what is successful so that you can become more successful in future. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually true visionary leadership, yeah. Correct. And, and I think that, that holds true for, for all leaders as well, specifically in, let's say, the startup or the entrepreneurial context. I mean, in last three years of my journey, when I started, my team was five people. Then it became 50, then it became 500, and today where it is, where it is. But it is about the things that you are doing as five people. You cannot do as a leader when the team is 50. You need to empower people, look at the future, and start planning for it. And that's what Times of India Group did very, very well. Do you want to know how I collaborate with some of the best brands in the world at Asia Tech Podcast? I use Podmetrics. This is the best way to connect to your favorite brands and monetize your podcast. 
If you are a podcaster, you can sign up now at podmetrics.co and use the referral code Asia Tech Podcast, all one word, to get full control of your show's monetization, regardless of your show's size. And if you're a brand and want to collaborate with the Asia Tech Podcast, head over to advertiser.podmetrics.co, it's spelled like it sounds, and sign up now. Wow, really interesting. I did not know any of that, so really great stuff. I want to go back and talk about Jabong, right? And one of the reasons why is because, you know, I live in Thailand and when between like 2012 and 2015, rocket internet just felt like this, you know, just like a pit bull that was going after every sort of emerging market e-commerce opportunity. And it didn't matter which country it was coming up with like great names for companies like Lazada. I can't remember all of them, Zalora and Jabong in, in India, right? What was it like working for Rocket back then, it must have been a very different environment than working for the Times of India or working for Britannia, no? Absolutely. Jibong was was my first, I would say, entrepreneurial startup experience. Uh, and uh, interestingly, when I when I met the founders of Jibong, uh, I had gone to meet them for, for a discussion on a role for marketing. And then they saw that uh, I was working on something which is marketplace. They got me for building the marketplace. And then decision-making which is happening on the fly. Right. That is exactly what, what Jabong and Rocket Internet stood for. I think the key characteristics of this Rocket Internet phenomena for those four or five years, one, smart, smart people. The kind of talent that Rocket Internet got in that time was amongst the very best teams that I, I really worked yeah. with. They, could, they would get the McKinsey consultants, they would get the Stanford, Harvard guys. And they would really empower them to build the business. So the second part is empowerment. You would really put in local entrepreneurship on a very, very smart guy. The third thing was prioritization of execution over idea. And a lot of decisions that we make, we need to understand philosophically what is more material. A very good guy who's a mentor of mine once told me that ideas are cheap. <laughs> If you and I sit for three hours, we'll have 20 different startup ideas, which will be all exciting. But what is expensive is execution. Which one of those ideas can you pick up and execute for next five years to make a business out of this? And I think that's where Rocket Internet really excelled at. This was one of the most phenomenal execution machinery that, that I have seen. Smart people, motivated, entrepreneurial no debate about the idea, go out there and execute. And of course, all this in Rocket was powered by a lot of money, which was more than the market threshold. Yeah, for sure. Before Rocket, you could raise a $5 million or $10 million and feel happy that now you're sore for two years. Rocket entered with a bang and, and make all, made all that irrelevant. The, the funding parameters really changed in the markets uh, as soon as Rocket entered. To give you a very simplistic example, uh, before Jabong, in India, the fashion e-commerce business uh, was being done by a company called Mintra. Right. And when Jabong entered, Mintra's largest warehouse was around 15 or 20,000 square feet. Jabong came in and they took over a place which was 50,000 square feet, <laughs> expandable up to 100,000 square feet. You see, right? It's about making that commitment 5x bigger. 
and that changes the game so uh, personally i think it was it was really really great learning experience with some of the smartest people and then so much execution focus really taught me a lot uh, which which has been with with me even now my first job out of college was at uh, morgan stanley and i also worked at goldman sachs so two places where you know again everybody can have an idea but being able to execute that idea is what really mattered and from an execution standpoint you know again both of those companies not startups but similar in respect to the fact that if you had a great idea and you were committed to it and you could execute it the ability to fund it actually was there yeah yeah and it was super intense and again same thing some of the smartest people i ever met i worked with at goldman sachs and their ability to execute things in my mind was unrivaled at least in that industry so similar but you know the startup world is different for sure yeah and it was groundbreaking what rocket was doing you're right they came in not with three million bucks but with 30 or 300. yeah and that really built quite a few businesses and changed the way industries work oh absolutely i mean you see it still today lazada in thailand although it's not made a profit is still one of the biggest if not the most influential e-commerce company in not just in this country but in this region so fair enough that stuff's still uh still going on and lazada has been now i think acquired by alibaba correct for three billion dollars a few years ago that's another story altogether which we can cover on a different podcast i have my own opinions about that <laughs> but i want to ask you about this right you said initially that when you graduated from iit your idea and this was actually very similar to my idea when i graduated from college i just wanted to create some financial stability for myself i didn't like growing up in a way where there was not financial stability and to me it was just i wanted to make as much money as i could so i didn't have to worry about it not because i wanted things but because i didn't have to worry about having biscuits for lunch to be fair <laughs> but no but this is it's actually very important to me but then at some point you switched from big corporations and then went to a startup company and i guess the real question for me is at that point when you went to jabong right did you feel like you had achieved enough financial stability to then commit yourself to the startup world completely in the sense that you didn't have to worry about you know eating and a place to live anymore and that financial stability that you talked about at first or did your mindset just change and say i'm willing to take this risk regardless it was a mix of both, Michael, to be fair. I was married by the time um, I joined Jabong. Right. My wife was earning. So we had two sources of income. Good for you. We also had a loan from my MBA, which was a sizable one. So I think there was financial security because she was earning. And the change in the mindset also that the sunrise industries are different from where i have been working exactly and it's it's not just about sunrise industry uh, michael it's also about a company's way of working and while times of india uh, was making and has become a big internet uh, company the way you work in a startup to the way you work in a times of india is different yeah and then i wanted to learn that i wanted to go through that grill that meant taking some risks and in the back end in mindset in and in the bank account there was some preparation done there yeah fair enough so do you want to tell me a little bit about how that working is different when you're working at a big conglomerate versus working in the startup world how is that different so there are two parameters that come to my mind right away go ahead one is ability to take risks 
a big conglomerate has a lot to lose if a decision goes wrong. Right. And a startup has much lesser to lose. And that changes the way decision-making cycles work in a company. And that's the second point. Because you have so much to lose, your decision-making is slower. And these two interlinked points actually define the difference in cultures between, let's say, between two poles of one being a startup where you have almost nothing to lose. So yesterday you were selling biscuits and today you can start selling donuts. Right. Whereas a large uh, biscuit selling company has a big brand and a lot of people know it for biscuits. Even if it sees that biscuits are not going to be future, but donuts are, it really can't do that. And that's why I think these two things define, let's say, the the working culture, which means that uh, there are many people involved in decision making in a large conglomerate. And as humans, we try and avoid change as much as possible. Again, a large conglomerate signature. Eventually leading to a bit of politics and slower movement towards where the future is. So if, if I have to succinctly summarize it, it for, for you, Michael, one would be lower risk-taking ability for large conglomerates, longer decision-making cycles, more number of stakeholders to convince, and a bit of politics. I just I love these concepts, though. More stakeholders to convince and a little bit of politics. It's just so great. The last thing I want to ask you before I let you go, again, because we started off this conversation in a little bit of a personal way with some personal reflection. When you were a little boy, did you ever think that you would be living in Paris and managing a startup company that had offices in, what did you say, in 35 countries? Did I get that right? Yeah. So, Michael, no, the answer is no. <laughs> I've been fortunate. The Almighty God has been kind to me. And uh, I believe that whatever I have, some of it might be because I made a lot of effort, but a lot of it is because I have a great family which has supported me in this journey. Right. The God has been kind and I have been lucky. So, yes, I am way ahead of what my childhood dreams were. <laughs> yeah, so am I. Look, I mean, that's a really great way to end. I learned a ton today and I cannot thank you enough for coming and doing this on your weekend time. I really appreciate it. Amit Kumar, the CEO of OLX Autos in India. This was really awesome. Thank you again. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, appreciate you inviting me and it was a pleasure talking to you and knowing and learning from you as well. Keep doing such great stuff. Uh, there is a lot of learning that you're bringing to all of us. That's very kind. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. <laughs>